The following program is an abridged audio version of the streaming video talk show, A Wonderful Chaos. The hosts are Andy Chaliff and Bambos Dimitriou. The format is entirely casual, unscripted conversation. If you'd like to watch a live taping or participate with your comments in real time, subscribe to A Wonderful Chaos on YouTube, Facebook, Periscope, or Twitch. often been called aggressive or some people have called me a bitch before in the workplace because of my demeanor whenever I'm at work. But whenever we have a goal at hand that we're trying to accomplish, yes, that's where my, I guess the masculinity is going to preface. And I think that's okay. But just because a female exuberates, that does not mean that she should be called a bitch or be aggressive because if If a man says it, then they're like, oh, yeah, good job, Steve. Pat on the butt. But then whenever a woman does it, then you see how the connotation flips. It's a wonderful chaos. Solo or tandem. We work to find rest and fight to find peace. Both head and the heart. So today, do we have Genesis Amaris Kemp? Yes, Genesis Amaris Kemp. She wrote a book with a beautiful title called Chocolate Drop in Corporate America. And I just it put such a smile on my face when I saw the title. And every so often we do an equality, equity, and inclusion show. And I really like it because it's almost like there's so many things that I know I'm not aware of in what I do that are, are, uh, are either offensive, not inclusive, uh, negating somebody else's experience. So in some weird way, it's almost beautiful always to uh, get another perspective from someone who is looking at it with such a tight lens. So uh, so I, I, I look forward to having that discussion with Genesis. This subject does make me feel very emotional. Mm. Yeah, it, I have no words for it. It just makes me like feel the first drops of tears coming out of my eyes. Mm. You know, I've, I've uh, spent so much time feeling this subject long before it was popular. You know, the, 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 in the book, you know, there was that chapter which said it made you cry when you read that chapter in the book. Yeah. And um, it was all for me at that moment about white privilege. And, uh, and it was interesting. Remember when I wrote all that, white privilege wasn't even a word people were throwing around all that much. So it was, it was curious that, that, it almost took uh, the, I know you hate it when we bring in politics, but it took in uh, a presidency with Trump in some ways for people to start really making grassroots effort to call attention to things that were going on for many, many generations that no one was, was really addressing. So, um, so for me, um, yeah, I, I, uh, I always love this topic because there's two sides to it. And I think, I think if we look at it, the negative side, we, we push people away. So I don't like to look at it that way. 
I like to look at it as where am I not yet conscious of certain behavior and how is it that that now allows me to become more aware of things in myself? Hmm. So the, the whole idea of equality, equity, and inclusion is really, I see less of a topic of being fair because when we say fair, then all of a sudden everyone says, well, I'm fair. You're, you know, then and no one wants to see themselves as bad. So people get quickly defensive. And I've always said, hey, I know I'm always going to be blind to something. What it is, I don't yet know. So being on a call with Genesis is a beautiful moment. Like, I, I hope we'll, while we're talking that she says, hey, this is one of those moments where you guys might not be aware but in asking or doing something that way, you have implicit bias that you're not aware of. And I think that, that I mean, like when we did the show, I got I to gotta be honest, like when we did the show, when we had uh, talked with one of the guests and then um, the whole wording of prostitute came up and then, then I heard, and ever since that show, I heard no, the, the person said the term that would be more con connected properly would be sex worker. And it was really interesting because that was a moment for me to think, yeah, actually, that is the service that's being rendered and it's not denigrating the individual. Mm. The show with Bolalan, when, when he came on and the first thing he said to us, where do you see us being privileged? And he said, Andy, we're speaking English. Like those were those are beautiful moments on the show for me where it was like, wow, these things go on. And just by being with people who are more heightened in their awareness around them helps people like myself and I'm assuming you to uh, to like better understand how it happened. So that would I thought would be great. And for me, uh, anyone that focuses on that area is uh, is full of insight. And uh, yeah, that was my feeling. Thanks for sharing that. I always love it when you give words to the things that I can't. <laughs> yeah. So I was, we with, on, yeah, let's bring her on. Yes. Hey, Andy. Hey, Bombos. Welcome. Hey. <laughs> Thank you for having me on your show. So did you get the Thank tissue you. box? I did. I had to, because I saw some waterworks coming out of your eyes, and sometimes tears are contagious, especially since today is emotional day for me as well. It marks four months since the passing of my dad. So mm -hmm. I don't know if the waterworks are going to come, but if they do, I am human and we're just going to keep on rolling. <laughs> yeah. We've, we've done enough of the waterworks on this show to uh, be able to hold that space. So no worries. Yeah, that is the show. So what does it mean for you for it to be four months since your dad passed away? Oh, it's been mixed emotions. Today, I just tried, when I woke up, I knew it was four months, but I didn't really verbalize it because I was trying to keep myself together because I had, you know, a podcast at 10 a.m. Then there was technical glitches. So we had a reschedule for tomorrow. Then I was left to take my mom to her part-time job. And then she said, oh, it's been four months. Then we're driving in the car and tears start streaming down. And I was like, this is so not safe to be driving. And then you really can't see when tears are rolling down your eyes. And now, now that I'm talking to you all at 11.13 a.m., I'm just trying to remind myself that even though my dad is gone and he's not here to be on the journey with me, I try to think about the good moments and the memories that we had because I've 
I have told people, my dad wasn't just my dad. He was my best friend. He was my road dog. He was my shopping partner whenever my husband didn't want to go to the mall or whenever my mom didn't want to go. Um, I'd be like, hey, dad, do you want to go to the mall? Oh, okay, sure. And we kind of, even though he was old, you know, older, we would like, oh, dad, dad, let's get some vans. Like, you know, let's rock our vans like sneakers or let's wear some distressed jeans. And then I was like, oh, they're not really distressed, dad. They're called holy jeans. So let's just wear them to church because, you know, you get it. It's holy jeans <laughs> and just like funny little things like quirky things. But then I do miss the cultural side of things with my dad. The fact that I never, you know, got to learn Dutch or speak it fluently because my mom is Caribbean. So she only spoke English. So some of the things that my dad, you know, grew up in his lifetime, I I never got to really experience that. Like, for example, last year we were going to go to Curacao and then my dad got sick in May. And I was like, oh crap, you know, we had this big old trip planned, but it it just goes to show you, you really have to appreciate people when they're here and give them their flowers when they could smell them and when they could bloom versus waiting for someone to pass and then you're just crying at the graveyard. And so one thing that just popped into my memory this morning was some people who came to my dad's funeral, they said all these good things that my dad was. And I was like, where were you when my dad was sick and he was going through his trials and tribulations? Yes, you're saying all these good things, but he can't hear you. So it just reminded me that sometimes we take people in our life, whether they're our spouses, our siblings, our friends for granted. And then whenever they're lying on their sick bed or they're getting ready to transition to the afterlife. We want to tell them about all these things that they can't do. And I feel like it's for ourselves to feel good, but it's also selfish too. And that's my personal approach. So I guess to answer your question, mix emotions today, but I'm glad that he's no longer suffering. And I I guess my message to everyone out there who had a loved one that went to the hospital during COVID, if you if your loved one wasn't treated fairly because they made people who had COVID a priority and neglected other people, you know, just remind yourself that those people have their day coming and you do eventually reap what you sow. And I'm not wishing any ill will on any person by any means necessary. So I definitely want to put that out there, but I definitely feel that, you know, the treatment that my dad got for just going into the hospital hospital for something as simple as his blood sugar being elevated. And three days later, my dad was paralyzed from the waist down. He could not move. And I, I just say that, you know, those people are going to have their day and it's not up to me to, you know, judge them. I just know that, you know, the universe and, you know, the heavenly father and whatever is going to deal with somebody accordingly. Whenever you treat somebody, you know, unfairly, it's not, it's not up to you to always fight your battles. Mm. Do you feel, cause we are talking, uh, the, the, the title of the show is, is, uh, it, you know, equality and inclusion. Do you, uh, like in your heart feel that if your dad was white, it would have been a different experience hospital? A little bit, but then I also feel like not just the colorism part, whether you're white, you're black, Hispanic or whatever, but also here in America, the insurance plays a factor. If you have insurance or you don't have insurance, then if you do have insurance, like my dad have, had insurance, what type of insurance do you have? And I'm like, okay, healthcare has such 
a nasty connotation about insurance. And I feel like if a person is sick, do the best that you can do for that person, despite if they have insurance or not insurance, if they have the, the top tier insurance or if they have the low tier insurance, that person's life is in your hand. So I feel like that is a two prong answer for me whenever I talk about diversity, equity and inclusion when it comes to health care and the care that my father received. I felt like mm-hmm. one, it could have been color. And then two, it, it could have been, you know, based on his insurance or three, it could have been based because the hospital was overstaffed and they were so busy consumed with worrying about COVID patients that they neglected people who did not have COVID. Yeah. No. It feels like you were just channeling everything that you were saying. No. <laughs> yes. I'm still going to fight for my dad, no matter what, if he's here or not, because his legacy is going to live on. And it's not just about my dad's Earl, but it's about other patients who are going to come after him to make sure that they're getting the proper treatment that they need, no matter what their race is, no matter if they have insurance or not, but just treat that person as a human being, as if you would want someone to treat your family member. Did did you observe any... I mean, I'm, I'm hearing you sh- speak. Did you observe anything during the journey of your father being in the hospital that made you feel uncomfortable? Oh, yeah. Many times. Like, I had to get so many disciplines involved. I had a, you know, it felt like I was working at the hospital, but just not on their payroll. So I was like, man, I feel like you guys need to put some respect on my check because I'm doing all this. I'm calling calling his primary care physician. I'm talking to the doctors at the hospital. I'm advocating for him. I was like, where's their, where's the patient advocate? Where, where are these people? And I was like, I've only spent a little bit of time working in the medical field, but I know when something is not right. And I feel like if you have people in your family that are in the medical field and say, for example, before we went through a shutdown, um, my sister-in-law came to visit and she's a nurse practitioner. So there was a day where she was there. So they felt comfortable because she's she's a nurse practitioner. They're like, oh, you got it. But no, that's not her job. Mm -hmm. He is your patient and you're still supposed to take care of that patient, regardless if we have someone who is in a medical discipline. So I feel like in my heart of hearts, there were red flags there, but you also don't want to be that family that is the worrisome family. But then you also want to make sure that your loved one gets the help and care that they need. Mm-hmm. So I guess we could go on more or we could table the discussion because I just have so many things to say about the subject because I'm super passionate about helping people who are going through this situation or went through it previously. We have the, 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 uh, the, the, the thing that's important for us is to be present with what is not Mm -hmm. to force a discussion in a direction because of anything. So, (laughs) so we may spend the next hour only talking about your dad and then who cares about whatever the other topic was, you know, that, that, that's just speaking, you know, how, our philosophy for life uh, isn't uh, it's to be present with people and not to, not to be goal oriented. Yeah. Oh, okay. That, that works. So we're going to just, I guess, ride the waves. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Ride the waves. We're going to talk about Earl the whole show. <laughs> uh, you know, is, is your husband having the qualities of Earl? Mm. Um, some, sometimes whenever he says little things, I'm like, oh my gosh, you're sounding like dad right now. Um, 
So I kind of had to like kind of shake it off and laugh or we'll make little jokes or comments of things that my dad used to say. And I was like, man, I just wish I knew one one semi bad word to say in Dutch right now. So you could just shut up. (laughs) (laughs) We'll give you a few after the show. After the show. And then I was like, well, that's not really Christ-like. And I was like, that's kind of getting me to slip back into BC. And people are like, what are BC? And I was like, before Christ, you know, it takes, it's a it's a journey to to get to where, where you are in life. And sometimes you have slips up, kind of like slips, trips, and falls. And we're not perfect, but there's some days where I just want to say, ah, shiitake mushroom or fudge sickle or something. <laughs> well, we've given up on, on um, appearing professional, so... We use the language that allows people to judge us for being improper. <laughs> um, I, I'm curious, what got you into the whole the whole thing of equity and inclusion, like that whole field? Like, what brought you into it to begin with? Woo! Where do we start? Um, so I guess a little background information. I spent 15 years in corporate America. 11 and a half of those years were spent working in the oil and gas and energy sector. And out of those 11 and a half years, I spent seven and a half of those years working for a Fortune 500 oil and gas company here in Texas, where I really saw things that began to come up to the surface that just wasn't right, whether it was how they treated people of color, whether how minorities as a whole were treated, whether how they treated people who um, had pride and pride or just so many different things, even working mothers, like whenever working mothers are repatriating back into work after being gone for a certain amount of time, there were so many red flags around diversity, equity, and inclusion. And I really felt like the company that I was working for at the time was just throwing out DE&I as a buzz phrase versus really seeing that be evident into the workplace. And I was like, if you're going to talk about it, you need to walk it like you talk it. Because I was like, looking from the outside in, everyone's like, oh my gosh, you work for this company. It's so amazing. I want to work there. But then in the in, in the inside, looking out, you really don't see all of the great things. Yes, it's a great company. Don't get me wrong, because you should never damn the bridge that you that you walk on. But there are minute things in the organization that need to be worked on in order for it to check the box of, okay, we're honoring our mission statement. We're honoring our morals. We're honoring what we put out to the media and et cetera. Don't just put those things in the media to attract people, but then you're not retraining the, you're not um, retaining the people that you attracted to your company, if that makes sense. And so with me, um, starting starting all over again with this Fortune 500 company, even though I had previous oil and gas experience, they brought me in as an administrative assistant. And at first, like I was high minded. I'm not going to lie. I'm like, I'm not an administrative assistant. Did you not see my resume? I just said I was an interim HSC manager. And for those of you who aren't um, who don't know, HSC is health, safety and environmental. So when my old boss had left, uh, the smaller company we were at, and she went to this big company, quote unquote, Fortune 500, whose name I don't want to speak right now. Wow. <laughs> uh, when she when she got there, I was like, oh my gosh, I was like boohooing. It was like almost like it was her funeral, or whatnot. And then they're like, oh well, you two build the safety program from the ground up, so you could just stand in her position for a little bit. I'm like, well, 
when she was here, she had me to be an assistant. And now that she's gone, I'm doing this, but I have no help. So then I was like, okay, let me just humble myself and see um, how this plan is going to unfold. So I took the administrative assistant role as my way of getting my foot in the door, right? Once I got in the company, they're like, oh, once an admin, always an admin. I'm like, no. I said, who told you that? That may be something that you want for yourself, but that's not something that I want for Genesis. I'm sorry, but I don't agree with that statement. So during that time, that's where I really started to see diversity, equity, and inclusion, because I didn't feel like the equity part was there. Because if you have an administrative assistant working for that company that has a vast array of skill sets and they're aspiring to do something else in the company, anyone with logical thinking would be like, let me train this individual to do something something else in the company because I'm going to get a ROI, which is a return on investment because not only are you training that employee, but that employee is going to have the inclusivity where they're being seen and they're being heard and they feel valuable. And if that employee feels valuable, they're going to want to stay with your company for the longevity. So then you're reducing and mitigating high turnovers because if you hire someone else, Joe Blow off the street, you're going to have to pay to train them because they need to know your policies and procedures. They need to do your in-house training and all of that stuff. So I was like, okay. So, you know, I really started to, to learn how to network internally and externally within the company to really move my chess pieces, as my older brother would say. And I guess that was the infancy stage of me coming into the diversity, equity, and inclusion because it was something that I was doing on the back end, but I didn't really know that I was exercising that practice. But it wasn't until I got the news that the company was going to lay me off one week after my dad passed. So they told me on December 1st, my last day on payroll was February 14th, which was recently. And I was like, you know what? I could be upset. I could be bitter. But when I got the news, I was like, okay, okay, I'll talk to you later. And I just hung up the phone on my boss. Then her big boss called and like, hey, I heard you took the news very well. Are you okay? I said, yep, I'm okay. Just dealing with, you know, the passing of my father. I'll talk to you later. And then someone else, like people were just reaching out to me. I guess they wanted me to have the quote unquote angry black woman um, face and be like, you're going to let me go? Or And I'm like, you know what? I was like... It is what it is. Everything happens for a reason. And when one door closes, multiple doors open and other opportunities come to you that were destined for you anyways. So here I am now with the book out. I have two books out, the first edition of my book and the second edition. I'm doing podcasting where I'm talking about diversity, equity, and inclusion. I'm sharing my journey how, you know, I'm an imperfect person becoming a better version of myself, but I have to give myself grace and mercy. And I'm not measuring myself up to someone else's standards. So I don't need the validations of others to make me feel good because I've been there, done that, been through depression, been through hell and back. And that's not for me. So once you know who you are, you're not going to fall victim to who people tell you Mm. you aren't. Yeah. Um, (laughs) Drop the mic. Um, I want to know. So here's, I, I have, a, I had some, ch- I had some challenges when you were speaking, right? Uh-huh. Because your experience of being the assistant, not getting the next job. Like I hear that from everybody, like everybody, regardless of race or, so that's a repetitive story for me working in corporate America. So where does it become 
more inclined to be something more race, more gender specific? When do you, how do you see it when it's more gender or more race specific and more like, we never have enough budget, we're always cutting out. So where do you experience that? Or even better, a specific story would be fantastic. Yes, I wanted you to ask that question because I did give you all the information. So after I was in the administrative assistant role for four and a half years for a specific drill team, then I was going to school at night. Well, back up. They told me, hey, what do you plan to do with a psychology degree? And I was like, well, my whole plan and my parents' plan was for me to go to medical school. So I was going to use psychology in my mind as a stepping stone. But then whenever my first boss told me, what do you plan on doing with a psychology degree here? I ended up reevaluating because I was like, okay, he's giving me some feedback and there's a subliminal message. So let me analyze that. So I ended up switching my major to supply chain and logistics and technology with double minors, one in purchasing and one in organizational leadership and supervision, found out that the company would pay for my degree. So once I switched my degree, they would foot the bill. But then there's always a caveat because nothing's free in life. So the contingency plan is if we pay for your degree, you have to stay with the company for X amount of time. I was like, okay, cool. Because I'm not I'm not, you know, footing the bill for myself and school is expensive. Schools are a business. So I had to work full time because if you wanted to go to school, you had to do your school around your work schedule because that's Mm -hmm. something that you're doing personally. So I went to school at night. During that time, my now husband had proposed to me. So then um, I was engaged. Finally, um, got a new role. And that new role came from some of my networking experiences early on. There was a lady who I met doing a volunteer event that the company had. And she was like, Hey, I'm going to retire at X amount of time. I think you would be great for this role. So she put my name in the, in the hat or bucket or however they do it behind the scenes. Cause when you work for certain companies, you can't really apply for jobs. They do it behind the scenes. So it's more like you're voluntold that this is your new role. So then I went on to be a raw material coordinator for polypropylene. For those of you who are listening, polypropylene is a form of plastics. So um, once I was in that role, I was also the only chocolate drop there. And I was the youngest person. So you have the color factor, which is race. And then you have ageism in a sense, because I was the youngest person on my team. And so the first day of my job, I thought it was like the corporate because I was working at headquarters before I showed up to this chemical plant, you know, dressed to the nine, had my heels on. My hair was like the young people say my hair was on fleek. I was looking good. Then someone's like, they were looking at me. I was like, why are these people looking at me? Like, you know, I just dropped off of Mars. And this lady pulled me aside and she's like, honey, you need to tone down the way you dress here. We don't, we don't wear that here. You could wear some jeans or some tights or I'm like, Oh, okay. And I was like, well, first impressions are lasting impressions. And I didn't know, no one told me what to wear on your first day in the chemical plant. You know, I've never worked in the chemical plant. Um, so then I was like, you know what, maybe that's just her. So I just, for the whole week, I just kept dressing up. Right. Then I started to see little subliminal things. I had a a female boss. I went from having a male boss who was, you know, he was pretty cool, you know, down to earth, but kind of removed this female boss. I felt like she was literally a capital witch because 
if she had her broom, she probably could fly away because she was so mean and nasty to me. And she was um, Polish, right? And I was like, what is this? <laughs> I was like, what is this lady's uh, deal here? And I'm like, you know, I'm a very culturally diverse because I mentioned my dad was South American and my mom is Caribbean. And we have, you know, various people that are married into our family. So I was like, mm. you know, you would think that one, she's a minority too, even though she's a white woman that identifies as white, but whenever you're a woman in a male dominated industry, you are a minority. So I was like, we should be working together, looking for ways to complement each other instead of being in competition. I'm like, I don't want your job. I don't even want to commute here for two hours a day, one way and two hours back another way. Let's just be real. But I was doing it because it was a way to help me accelerate my career. If yeah. this is making sense. So I lasted 11 months in that role because I mentioned that I got engaged. My husband pretty much planned our whole entire wedding because about time I would commute and get home, the vendors were closed and gone. So he did everything except pick my wedding dress, pick the color of my nails or my hair. <laughs> so I was like, oh my gosh, like I have to have work and home life vows because he may not want to marry me. And so I was like, so I went into my boss's office um because once the once Cruella DeVille left we got a new boss which he was a male and him and I really hit it off well because he took the unconscious biases preconceived notions and all of that stuff that she imprinted on me without really getting to know me as an individual or an employee and she just just had it out for me and he was like, man, if I would have listened to what she said about you, your ranking would have dropped because that's another thing. Working for these big companies, they have forced rankings where you compete against other people in your quote unquote rank pool. And mind you, going into this role, it was a higher role outside of the administrative bucket. But you know what? They were still paying me as an administrative assistant, even though I had my degree and I had experience and I was like, okay, is it the color of my skin or is it my age? Because I'm the youngest person on my team. You know, I'm black. I'm the only black person on my team. But I was like, what's the difference between me who just got a four, a four year degree? Mind you, I had an associate's degree before. And, you know, I have work experience. I had by that point, I already had quite a number of years in the oil and gas um, sector, whether it was with this Fortune 500 company or the company before. My experience plus my education is part of my credibility. So I am capable of doing this job. The only thing that was different is this is something I haven't done before, but I'm not an idiot. So, you know, everyone does OTJ on the job training. So I'm learning this. So you just have to work with me. And I was like, did, did the company? Did the chemical plant stock out? No. Did we have any misshipments? No. So obviously I am, comp I am, you know, doing my job to the best of my abilities. I'm still learning and growing and I am very competent in this field, despite the way you perceive me. So that was my first red flag with diversity, equity and inclusion, because the pay gap and the pay disparity was so different in comparison with my peers who were doing similar roles. After that, um, my total experience in that role was 11 months because I finally got a position back at headquarters. But during this whole journey of me going from the admin role to the raw material coordinator, I really had to advocate for myself. There was no one saying, hey, do you want this position? Do you want to do this? I was really advocating for myself because I knew where I wanted to go. I, I noticed um, it's a lot to take in. And yeah. as you're speaking... I had this vibration in me, like, 
there's this little girl in you. I kind of had this image that your father, Earl, prepared you for this journey. And, and somehow as you're speaking, I kind of hear him also through you. Am I, would I, would I be wrong here? Am I projecting? Yeah. No, I think you'll be right. Because my dad, like I mentioned, we were inseparable. We were two peas in the pod. Yeah, I can, I can hear your, your passion and conviction and your sense of clarity when you speak. Can you share a little bit how how that um, conversation played out between you and your papa? So, yeah, when I was younger, my dad would always tell me, never let somebody tell you what you can't do. Never allow someone to strip away your dreams, your goals, and your vision. Because my dad was very spiritual in religion. He said, if God placed something inside of you, it's going to come to pass. It may not come to pass. Ooh, I just got chills. During, during your timetable. But it's going to come to pass whenever the time is right. So never rush to get anything before your time because if you get it quickly you're gonna lose it so just kind of take your time and sometimes I wouldn't really understand that concept because I was like I've worked so hard like this is thing but he's like life is not fair and that is very true there's you know fairness and unfairness but you really have we as human beings have to remind ourselves to humble ourselves and sometimes when we humble ourselves that's whenever we walk into those opportunities those divine connections the divine interventions and etc but whenever we think that we're on top of the world and we're undefeated then that's whenever you know our egos get the best of us we become pompous we become arrogant and then we have these blinders on where we don't want to see what somebody else is telling us. We don't want to listen to feedback or anything because we have the what's in it for me. I, 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 whenever sometimes it's not about you, but it's about what is happening to, to you and what is going to be birthed through you. Does that help you Bombos? Yeah. Well, help me. Uh, <laughs> it, it kind, I kind of had this intuitive uh, moment uh, as you were speaking. Uh, yeah, because the strength that you speak from is very much a Dutch quality. So just knowing that he has that background, it doesn't surprise either of us that that's how you would have been raised. There's no Dutch person I've ever met, I mean, with some exceptions here and there, that doesn't have a very firm grasp of what's right, what's wrong. And if it's wrong, they will let you know about it like yesterday. So. Yeah. And that's the part I kind of hate it sometimes with my dad because he's like, you're my daughter, but what's right is what's right. What's wrong is what's wrong. So if you're wrong, you're going to be wrong, and I'm not going to pick up if, you, if you're wrong. I was like, Dad, but you're my dad. You're my A1 from day one. You should be on my side. I was like, are we picking sides here? Because I was born in America. So, like, you know, I'm Americanized, but I'm raised, you know, I was raised in a Caribbean household. So those roots are very rooted in me. <laughs> yeah. You know, one thing my wife, she does, she, um, the one thing I always laugh with my wife is like when she makes a comment like two or three times, I'm like, oh, damn it. She went to some training and now I have to listen to this forever. And she always said, she always says, Andy, and she says it with this similar voice every time, you know, um, ec uh, equity is inviting people to dinner. Inclusion is letting them sit at the same table as you. So she, she said this three or four times now in the meantime. So my brain is always, and when she said it, I, I first answer was, so what, what training did you get this in, you know? And, but, but by the same token, 
I found it really quite uh, quite interesting that that I mean it, it did make a lot of sense to me obviously clearly that in some weird way um, it's really easy to put some quotas in place where we say okay we're going to hire a certain number of females or people of color whatever we're going to label in order to look good for the public but the question is to what degree are we able to say hey um bringing people together that have very diverse ways of seeing the world um is is going to be something we value and i see that happening much less yeah i i, I have mixed feelings about that one andy because i really feel like some corporations use the diversity equity and inclusion to check the box to show their shareholders yep i hired these token people, I hired this amount of Asians, this amount of Blacks, this amount of Hispanic. Yep, we have enough, so let's move on. And and then whenever those people are in the company, you really have to peel back the onion layer and see, okay, are these people that they hired, are is their uh, progression with the company moving up similar as a Caucasian male or woman? Um, are they being given fair treatment? Is their pay being you know, the same, because if you have, like here in Texas, we have a predominantly black college, which is Prairie View A&M University. And then we have A&M University. They are both under the same umbrella. One is the Aggies and I guess PV is the Panthers, but you have two engineers. One comes from A&M and one comes from PV. So historically black. So I'm like, okay, on paper, they're the same. They both have an engineering degree. They both have internships. They both have these little projects, these golden projects, but they push the Caucasian guy through, but they don't push the, the black guy through. And I'm like, what? And I'm like, are you guys seeing what you're doing? You don't even realize what you just did. And I said, if we're going to push one through, we're going to push the other one through because you can't meet somebody just based on paper. A resume, anyone could put anything on a piece of paper, but we have to meet that individual in person, see what their skills are, see how they could carry on a conversation, see um, if they're in it for the longevity. Are they just here to work with us for the name of our company? Do they wanna retire from this company or whatever? There are so many different yeah. factors that go into recruiting. It's unbelievable, but I've seen it where I'm like, this is ridiculous. I've also seen people where they look at somebody's name on a piece of paper. If they have a Indian name, a Pakistani name, a black name, they were like, throw it to the side. I'm like, seriously, you can't judge somebody based on their name. It's They didn't choose their name, their parents did. And you may not know what their name means in that particular culture or etc like some african-american people they have oh precious bentley or whatnot and they're like oh why'd your mama name you that because you're definitely not a bentley then you have indian people who have weird names and then people are like oh they're arab they're a terrorist or they're whatever no you can't project what somebody says for someone that did bad in a particular race for the entire race. There's good and bad in every single race and every yeah. single um, color group or scheme. N no one is alike. And if we were all alike, hell, we'll be robots. Mm. By the way, I need to do, uh, I need to do something now. Uh, I have my wife who's, who's basically corrected my statement live <laughs> on the show. <laughs> <laughs> Andy. 
Diversity is when people, when they invite you to the party, inclusion is when they actually ask you to dance. I so. love that. I want to put it on a shirt. She should totally coin that and put it on a shirt. <laughs> Thank you, baby. Thank you for correcting me. <laughs> How do you say your uh, wife's last name? Ronnie Piputri. Ronnie Piputri. What oh. origin is that? She's Indonesian, but Rani, oh. uh, Rani is a, is a Indian name for queen. So oh. you can imagine what I have to, to deal with on a daily basis. <laughs> I have a good um, hiding for that. <laughs> I'm going to suffer consequences with that one. I, I want to share another story, which I'm going to leave nameless, but there was a company because just to, to, to um, what do you call it, to, to save the, um, the, the guilty or the innocent. But there was a company that published recently a, a very innocent, very sweet man, posted a picture of him, and then he shows that all the people in this, uh, in this photo are basically females. And then, and then posted, like, sweetheart of a guy, just wants to look at how diverse or how, look – Look at the female power, right? Like just trying to elevate that, what's going on in the company. And then, and then somebody who's in the same company posts the picture of the leadership of that company where there's no female in it. So it went from the... Oh <laughs> so talk about a painful moment, but you're just trying to be the sweetest guy like look at how diverse look at how we're bringing females into the workforce and then you they show the same company and the leadership and then the leadership is totally absent it yeah it's ridiculous that happens way too often whether it's um females versus the males whether it's colors versus the non-colors because sometimes you see all this stuff where they're where they're you know, talking about different stuff, but then you see in the boardroom, there's no representation for you, women, or et cetera. So how do you really expect to influence change whenever the people at the top aren't really part of this whole diversity, equity, and inclusion schematic? I feel like if they would be more open-minded and they would not just talk about it, but put it into action, then we could see the trajectory change. And that's my personal approach and opinion. Mm. Oh, there's a lot of comments coming in. <laughs> yeah. yeah. There's something else that I've found uh, very interesting. And, and I'm always looking at, like, uh, I, I look at the, the feminine energy, let's say, and the masculine energy. Masculine energy is much more results oriented. It's more how do we get to the goal in spite of how we get there. It's far less interested in the conditions around. So we might destroy a few things. We might not, we might not take our values totally seriously, but we're going to get to the outcome. And, and the female energy is I've experienced. It could come from a male as well. Doesn't, doesn't have to, it's like, guys, don't you realize that we're, 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 we're abusing all of our values as we're trying to get like, isn't that important to us? And, and I've noticed that the more the masculine energy, which often is embodied by a male, right? But not always, but usually like that'll then dominate the, the executive and the board levels to where, uh, to where people aren't necessarily talking about their values, talking about integrity, talking about the things that are also important 
when making decisions. So I, I, I see that as a big, a big issue in solving to, to, yeah. I do want to chime in there. If Bombos doesn't have anything to say, I want to chime into that comment, Andy. Yeah, please. So <laughs> it's funny that you brought up that point because I have often been called aggressive or some people have called me a bitch before in the workplace or whatever the case may be because of my demeanor whenever I'm at work. And sometimes I feel like, okay, Yes, I'm goal oriented and driven because we have deadlines and et cetera. But whenever it's time to be fun and play like, yeah, we're going to do this nonprofit golf tournament, stuff like that. You know, I'm going to let let my guards down because, yeah, we may be shooting some breeze where we may be drinking a beer or some wine interacting with our third party service providers. But whenever we have a goal at hand that we're trying to accomplish, yes, that's where my I guess the masculinity is going to preface. And I think that's okay. But just because a female exuberates, that does not mean that she should be called a bitch or be aggressive. Mm. Because if, if a man says it, then they're like, Oh, yeah, good job, Steve, pat on the butt. But then whenever a woman um, does it, then you see how the connotation flips. And I don't think that's cool. And I think that's something that corporations and businesses as a whole should really address because then it makes the woman feel some type of way that, oh, I need to lessen my standards in order to appease appease the men or appease the people who have higher powers. When in reality, a man a man and a woman, if both of them are going up for the for the job, they should give it to the best candidate, not because one voice is louder than another's or one person shows up more than another. And then I guess with if some if if you um, do the inverse, if a male has feminine ways, then some people who are very ignorant will be like, oh, he's so soft or he's homosexual or whatever. And they want to put labels on it or they don't feel like he's qualified to get the job done. But maybe he's empathetic. Maybe he's compassionate. Maybe he's passionate. Maybe he's non-confrontational. So then you really have to, you know, here we go again, peel the onion back and do like a personality assessment to really understand that individual and how they fit into the puzzle piece. And okay, are they meant to be a leadership where they're leading a group of people? Are they meant to be an IC, an individual contributor? Are they meant to be maybe a team lead where it's a step down from a manager? Just because different qualities show up at different times does not mean that you should bucket that person and say that they can't accomplish this. And I just want to just say that because when you spoke of that I was like oh the vibrations it just resonated with me because I felt like I dealt with a lot of that in corporate the 15 years and I guess um, the other part I want to chime in is after I did that raw material coordinator role for polypropylene I went on to do compliance in trade regulations which I knew nothing about trade regulations nothing about compliance and it was a brand new role that I made into my own baby and that was the last role I had before I got laid off from the company so you definitely see the progression and then um, there was definitely the pay disparity. And then after I spoke out last year, after the whole Black Lives Matter, they gave me a 20% pay increase after my boss had told me, oh, we're not going to give you a pay increase for two years. We're not going to give you another role. But I was like, it's so funny that, you know, I was ballsy and I spoke up in the vice president's meeting and I told him, okay, this is my personal views of racism and these are my professional views of racism. Then a week later, she called me, hey, I just want to let you know that um, it's it's approved 
move. We were working behind the scenes and we're going to give you a 20% pay increase. This is really good, especially during the pandemic, because, you know, so many people are losing their jobs. But yes, but you know what? You're now in the big league. So you're really going to have to work on your um, work on um, some of the stuff that you're doing, because, you know, when you're in the big leagues, it's going to come with more stuff. And I'm like, you know what? This is the pay that I should have got whenever I moved into this role three years ago and none of my job duties change. It's just the pay change. So I'm yeah. like, you know what we- someone did? Sorry to interrupt you, but you know what they did? <laughs> they ran the numbers because all the companies, what they do when they get scared, when people start voicing stronger opinions or statements is they say, okay, we've got to do an internal audit. And then they run the audit and then they say, where this person and what's their role and how is the price disparity? And once they see the price disparities, actually what you say is exactly what happened. They start to say, oh my God, if we display it, we would see that there is a disproportionate wage for certain genders or certain uh, ethnicities. And, uh, and, and the sad thing is, I bet you, uh, and they can't, they don't want to show those reports until they get the numbers in line. Because then they can say, then they can give them out, and then they feel better about it. But I bet you, you scared the shit out of them. That's what I'm saying. <laughs> and then whenever I went to HR about it, because they had like you know the follow up meeting, how do you feel? And I said, well, to be honest, and I said, do you want me to be honest or do you want me to sugarcoat it? Because sometimes everyone wears their heart on their sleeve. And right now, I have nothing to lose because my priority right now is taking care of my father. Yes, I'm doing my job, and I'm going to do it to the best ability. But you know. What if something were to happen to me, you're going to have Susie Q in there tomorrow. That's just the nature of the business. So um, I said, you know, I really feel like I'm thankful for the 20 percent pay increase. But I feel I felt like it was done in a subliminal manner to be hush money because you knew there was a need. You were probably trying to protect yourself from a lawsuit since the whole George Floyd incident happened, the whole Black Lives Matter movement. And there were so many organizations speaking up of how they're going to do better for their black employees or those who identify as minorities so they could feel good about themselves, even though it's not something that they want to do but it's something that they need to do to stay out of the limelight. And she's like, no, I don't want you to think that we were, we were working on it in the background. I said, well, let's table this discussion because we definitely have opposing viewpoints and we're not going to solve anything by going back and forth. But I am very grateful for the 20% increase. But then fast forwarding, you look at whenever they were doing this big layoff and a lot of people that they laid off had seven years with the company all the way up to 20 years of the company. And some of them were a lot of black people. So these were the same people that you gave these pay increases to. Now you found an opportunity where you could do maybe a bailout whenever these companies were going under like oil and gas, you took the bailout and you're like, okay, this is my way to have attrition. I'm going to reduce my headcount so I can make sure my company stays afloat. And I'm going to cut these people because one, we're paying them too much or two, these people are, are very ballsy. These people are very, very outspoken. And if we leave them here, you know, Caribbean people say empty barrels make the most noise or something like that. Um, or never drop a bone and pick up a shadow. So I was like, okay, I see what you guys are doing here. You're not slick. I was like anyone with common sense or, 
logic could really analyze the whole schematic. And then they make you sign all of this paperwork. So whenever you separate from the company, you are obliged that you can't sue the company. But you know what? Just like they have loopholes, people have loopholes. You know, mama didn't raise a fool and no one was born yesterday. So you really have to be, you know, my personal advice to those listening and watching is never put all your eggs in one basket and always have your own contingency plan because these jobs come and go. Employers can let you go depending what state you're living. Um, it's an at will state here in Texas. So if they want to let you go, they can let you go with no explanation. It's their company. They could do whatever they want to you know, do. It's funny. As you speak, I now know why everyone called you afterwards scared of how you were going to react when they fired you. Well, I won't say fired. I would say laid off because uh, whatever there's a difference in my mind. I don't know what yeah. fired means. It's always just not working there anymore. You know. Yeah. I guess let me break it down really quick. So fired, uh, fired is whenever you get terminated from the um, employer, but there's no okay. benefits. Like you don't get paid for your vacation time that you have remaining. You don't get a okay. severance package or anything like that. Laid off means that they're laying you off and you do get a benefits package. And if they choose, they could rehire you later. Whereas yeah. if you're fired, that's a negative connotation where you did something that was bad or irreputable yeah. that they no longer want you to have ties with that company due to whatever infraction you had. Yeah. And then furlough is we're going to have you on the payroll, but we're, um, you're not going to be allowed to look for any jobs while you're on furlough, but you'll get your medical benefits. And yeah. some people are like, what the hell is furlough? And then you have those where, oh, you could also take you know, a leave, a leave of absence where, you know, we're going to retain your job and you could come back after X amount of time, but you have to have a legitimate reason to show us why you're going on leave, whether it's maternity leave, paternity leave, a leave for education. And there's so many stipulations. So they have all these buzzwords that are out there. But if you really don't un understand what the different categories are, you could put yourself in a tight space. And I feel like we as individuals, we have the right to choose if we still want to work for that company or if we want to leave because we may not have no ties. And in my opinion, some companies aren't as loyal as they used to be. Not a lot of companies still offer pension. And whenever they went away with pension, they offered 401k because it's a it's a way for the company to mitigate their costs, but to also retract their employee. But then when the pandemic hit, certain companies weren't matching their employees 401k. So you were putting your money in and you weren't getting anything, no free money. Yeah. So then you could say, oh, should I leave my money here or should I put it in the stocks market where my money could grow substantially over here? So there's different forms of diversity, diversity mm -hmm. with your payroll, diversity with the people in your company. <laughs> there's so many mm -hmm. levels of diversity. <laughs> I'm super passionate about this, if y'all could tell. Yeah, I was going to say, let's just make clear, Genesis did not get fired. That's what we know for sure. <laughs> I got it. Um, the one thing that I've always thought when it comes to anything regarding uh, a societal, I want to call it a societal belief that everyone is blind to. So the same thing when you said uh, looking at a name. And then making an a judgment around what the person may be from behavior just by a woman having the name uh, Destiny or uh, or whatever the the, the subtle, Andy. I want to call it. 
Thank you. Um, another good name for the woman example is Candy, because some people think Candy is associated with a stripper, a sex worker, or a prostitute. Okay, so so let's say the the whole idea is that I've seen, and this is the struggle I find in life, is that I see that one or society believes we can educate people to better understand these issues. And I'm more of the belief, if I say that way, that people need to heighten their consciousness of their own bias. And and there's almost it's, it's almost like it's a journey of is does it become an inward journey where one has a mom, almost an epiphany which is positive. There's a, there's an awakening aspect to it. There's a your life is better because you see the world clearer. Or do we say, you're a dumbass, and I need to put you in a course which forces you to do something you may not want to do, and at the end of it, you you have to defend yourself, and then the energy is always so negative. So in some weird way, I see that we as a society are still dealing with the more negative way of getting people to better understand the biases that they have. I agree. What what, do you, what are your thoughts, Bombos? Because I agree completely with that statement. And I would say, I guess, Andy, I would say two-prong. It should be a self-epiphany, but we should also put them in the course because you don't know what you don't know and you don't know what people don't check you on. Because sometimes if you go through it inwardly, but you're never reaching that end, end result and your mindset and perspective isn't changing, then you're battling with your own self, the good and the evil. And there's and then you're battling with your own thoughts and views for, versus if me, a black woman, a chocolate drop would tell you, Andy, who looking at you, I would say you identify with a Caucasian male if I would say, hey, Andy, what you just said comes off as, you know, a form of microaggression. It comes off as racist. And this is why I why I feel like it comes off and like have that discussion with that person. But I'll, I want to I want to let Bombos chimes in because he looks like he wants to speak something because he was like over there in his calm zone. His eyes were just so closed and relaxed. I was like, yes, the peace. I, I, I'm actually listening to what he was saying. And I was like, yeah it really resonates and I, I'm always careful with right and wrong I I, I always uh, think Andy I don't know if I'm quoting you good Andy but he said there's just people and sometimes they do stupid shit that they're not <laughs> that they're <trying> to. <laughs> that would be fair that would be a fair uh, quote thank you <laughs> hey, can we grab like a few comments? Because I think some people are like really chiming yes. in here. Yes. It is. I've been working corporate for 20 odd years, hearing all the issues you raised. I totally agree. So much discrimination, bullying, and toxic hierarchy. Continue in the next comment, she says. And it is worse for people who already are being discriminated in society, really need a massive change. Oh, yes. Thank you, Iris. And then there's one at the top, but I'm having a hard time pronouncing the, the name. Bolalang? Yeah. Bola Did I say it right? Bolalang? Bolalang. Bolalang. He's our dear friend from South Africa. It was his birthday he's yesterday. He's 66 and one day old today. Yeah. Nice. Happy belated birthday, Bolalang. <laughs> he says, I once took a job as a driver because I wanted to work for a certain company and the job that I was qualified for were usually filled by internal people before even going for advertisement. 
I got stuck as a driver for two years, not being considered for jobs I qualified for until the day that I resigned. Mm -hmm. That was the day they tried to get me to stay and offer me what I applied for, but I refused and left. And <laughs> yes. Yes, yes, Bolalam. We know you well. You're a man of integrity and no one's going to mess with you. Yes. I would, I'm yeah. so proud of him. I want to say, yes, you just... Just tell them stick it, and that's what you did. Stick it like the movie. There's a, this gymnastics movie. I don't know if y'all have seen it, where uh, the girl, like she was a really good gymnast, but you know there was diversity, equity, and inclusion in that movie, and they didn't want her to like do certain things. So like she like just popped out her bra strap, and they're like, oh, that's a that's a merit. And then she did something else, and then she's like, you know what? You all could stick it, and I'm like, yes, girl, get it. <laughs> <laughs> You know, um, there was something Bolong wrote, the last sentence, which I think typifies uh, like life in general and business even more specifically. And I'll, and I'll say it to people often if I'm working with them, is that sometimes you need to say goodbye to the job and the position you wanted before the company is going to give it to you. So, so in, in a way, you're taken for granted because they don't have a, a problem yet because you're still there. But as soon as you say, I'm out of here, all of a sudden, the gates of heaven open and then they give you everything you wanted all that time. But by that point, you're already gone. So it's a, it's a, it's a paradox in a way because you got to say, I'm saying goodbye to this. And in saying goodbye to it, then all of a sudden I get everything I wanted. It's a... Yeah. I, I like that you said that because that is so true since we both came from corporate backgrounds. And sometimes people are like, oh, well, if you don't do this, then I'll leave the company. And sometimes they could they could sense if you're calling a bluff. But then you could also, you know, also hold them in a sense, you know, by their feet, because if you leave and you know you're in a niche role where no one else could do what you're doing or it'll take a lot longer for them to find someone with your skill set, then you could almost kind of like let your bluff be known because they're like, oh, my gosh, she's a subject matter expert. She's an SME. She has all this experience. She's the only one that knows how to run this program. And if she leaves today, then we're going to have this big void. So it's kind of like you really have to know your opponent and know how to you know, orchestrate your moves. But then yeah. if you feel like you're in a position where they could easily replicate it, they could take your position offshore, send it to someone overseas, pay them a lot less. And yeah. you say, oh, well, I'm going to quit them. They'll be like, okay, bye. Cause we'll get somebody that could do it for cheaper. You know, so you really have yeah. to strategize. Yeah, for sure. But that's uh, that would be, I wouldn't want you know, anyone to hold the company that they're with and ransom unless it's very authentic. Cause then it's not really, then you, you're not the person that you actually, you know, it's just not, it's not as clean, you know? No, yeah. it's not as clean. And I guess sometimes, like, I guess I've seen where sometimes people have to kind of play dirty to get what they want, but then <laughs> you have to realize, okay, do you sleep good at night doing that? And, yeah. you know, I thought about it for a little bit whenever I was working with that company. I was like, mm, those aren't my morals. I know God has something yeah. bigger and better in store. Yeah. <laughs> um, you mentioned you wrote two books, right? Yeah. So uh, this is the first book that I wrote, right? When I was writing the book, the pay increase didn't come or any of things or we didn't have like any of the other trajectories. So people who finish who read the book, the first book, they're like, oh, what happened next? Did you get your paid your pay? Did, what happened? And then, you know, I, 
here in January, I was like, you know, I was kind of thinking about it. And I was like, you know what, I'm going to go back and just write some more. And so I did that. And everything kind of unfolds. I talked about my dad a little bit in chapter 20. I talk about, you know, the pay increase, talked about the Black Lives Matter, me being bold and courageous of speaking out in a VP's meeting. Um, And I was like, you know, it is what it is. Like, you know, I could either hold that and allow myself to be toxic inside, not sleep well at night, you know, be rude to my husband and et cetera, or, you know, I could be bold and courageous knowing that I know this meeting is coming up and I could just really think about what I want to say and say it, but don't make it rehearse. So when that day came and he was like, do you have anything to say? I said, well, actually, yes, I do. And I said, where shall we start? That was where he stopped. <laughs> and um, so when he asked, I was honest. And I said, the first part, because he said to give two examples, I said, well, the first example would be, personally. And I said, I have been, you know, targeted while I was in the grocery stores. And I said, with my niece and nephew who are half white, half black, but they don't look black. They're very fair skin. They have sandy blonde hair or the uh, the boy has the Corbin blue curls. And I said, someone has came up to me and asked me whose kids are those. And I do live in a nice area where up 10 minutes up the road, there's homes that go up to the millions. You see Mm -hmm. celebrities that go in and out. And I said, just because I'm shopping at this Kroger's and I'm with children who don't really look black, but you don't know their backstory, what makes you think that I'm not responsible to care for these children? What makes you think these children aren't my own? Are you that ignorant that you, that you don't know that race is intertwined, that, you know, there could be a black girl married to a white guy or a white guy married to a black girl. Slow down, slow down. You're telling me, just to want to get this clear, you go into a supermarket with two younger uh, siblings, not siblings, but relatives, mm-hmm. and though they're younger than you, and you get questioned as to what you're doing with these two kids that are of another color. Yep. Yes. A white woman, asked me that. And at the time that um, I was like, you know what, I, I was very offended. But then I was like, I had to really check my emotions because where I live is, you know, a white area, you have a few Hispanics, then you have some blacks. And I was like, you know what, let me keep my cool because this could really turn confrontational if I answer the wrong way, because then she'll be like, I fear for my life or whatever cop out. So I was like, these are my niece. These are These are my niece and nephew. And quite frankly speaking, I don't think it's any of your business. Like I'm here getting my groceries just like you're getting your groceries. I do have the money to pay for these groceries. And even though I do look young, it's none of your business who these kids are. But but question. So you said that to her. How does she react to you when you say that? You could see like it was almost like as if she was turning red where she was like angry. And I was like, oh, look at the And I wanted to laugh and say, look at the devil. He's coming out. (laughs) So it didn't go away. She still sat with the anger as you answered the question. Yep. And it and it's worse for my sister because my sister used to live in California and she would say people would just look at her and the kids up and down. Um, she said one time when she went to school with um, my niece and nephew, because her kids are very fair complex, they're like, oh, you're the mother because my my sister's a little lighter than me, but her kids are like probably like a little darker than you, Andy. So they kind of. I, I don't know. Putting a little darker it. than me. 
I'm as white as they come. Jeez. So, okay, like, so I guess they're in between. Look at this chest. <laughs> oh, no, don't do that. <laughs> I guess they're in between you and Bombo's color, kind of like caramel. It's hard to describe. But anyway, okay. they're very they're very fair complected. So that was one example I gave. The other example I gave with was my other nieces and nephew who are half Indian. Their mom is Indian. She's Trinidadian and Guyanese, but my brother is black. And you know, my nephew, they were picking, they were picking on him. And I was like, they didn't want to play with him because he was the only one in his class who was dark or whatnot. We got over that. And then I gave my professional example. I said, well, it's kind of funny how I started with this company in 2013 as an administrate as an administrative assistant. Fast forwarding, here we are in 2020, and you're still paying me as an administrative assistant, even though I'm now in a role where I, you know, fly on the company's dime. I go represent the company to C-suite executives, third-party service providers, global distributors. I could, you know, use the company car service to come to my house and pick me up, take me to the airport, or I... I had Emerald Isle. I had all these perks, a company, mm. Amex, company Excellent. credit card. But yet you see me as an administrative assistant. I said, what What other administrative assistant in the company has an Amex, uses the company card, Emerald Isle, and all the perks that I have? And do you let your administrative assistant go speak in front of C-suites executives and tell them about, you know, KPIs, key performance indicators? Do you let them speak to um, clients who are very um, affluent, very mm. whatever the case? And, yeah. you know, I put little nuggets in there and I was speaking his language so he could see that it was really, you know, an issue. And he's like, well, thank you so much for, for sharing this. Well, how do you feel about the George Floyd incident? And I said, well, how do you think I feel as a black woman to see somebody pretty much get murdered on national TV? I was like, how can you imagine somebody kneeling on the back of your neck for eight seconds? Like on concrete, who knows if the concrete was hot? Who knows if the concrete was cold? But eight seconds kneeling on, on you as if you were an animal? I was like, some people treat cats and dogs better than better than human beings. Yeah. Just, uh, just yesterday on the news, I saw, I think it was New York, where there was a cat stuck on the bridge and they had all these people trying to rescue the cat the cat and yes yeah. i love animals but when you value an animal's life more than a human being to me that's a problem yeah sorry there's another yeah, those, those, oh. yeah edith edith puts up the on there's a huge yeah. gap in generations with knowledge and education about this the newer generations could teach the older about openness and inclusion yeah that's the big that's a big one right like if you look at the older and the younger generations, right, there's there's an aspects of the newer generation where you'd say, oh, my God, they have so much more insight to these topics because they were raised in a different time and they're seeing things far clearer because they haven't been as indoctrinated. But by the same token, there's this entitlement, which is also there. Where So you've got this mixed where you've got all the insight, but you also have entitlement. Right. And then you think about all these people that worked their butts off to get into the positions that they got into, took them 20 years. And someone says, I should be in the same role you should be in, although you worked 20 years and did the suffering of all that other stuff. So in some weird way, uh, I've seen the struggle, at least from my outside looking in, being that the things that one has to learn from one another 
isn't balancing out that society that, that the older aren't saying wow there's something here i can really learn from the younger and the younger aren't saying there's something here i can learn from the older it's sort of more of a each one judging the other person as old decrepit young immature can i say something <laughs> please, please please go 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 okay so andy are you part of the baby boomers i think i'm i'm, I'm younger than the baby boomers okay so I could I could resonate where you're coming from because there is a sense of entitlement with the millennials and et cetera because they're like, I went to school, I got a good you know I got a good job or whatnot. This is what I'm worth. This is what I should be paid. And then the baby boomers like, hold up, slow your roll. Uh, you have to put in your work in order to get what you're worth is kind of how they want to say it. So then you do see the battle between the older generation versus the younger generation because the younger generation wants it quick and fast like the microwave the older generation wants it like the hot like the crock pot where they want to let it oh let's let it cook for four hours ten hours all day but then you have to realize that the older generation you know back then they had a little bit more perks they had pensions they had unions they had the non-unions they had certain things in place where companies were a little bit more loyal and they were held to higher standards whereas yeah. nowadays you know the way that companies are going they're cut and dry it's very cutthroat it's like you know it's like dog eat dog world. So sometimes you see where the baby boomers or the, let me just say the older generation, let me pull off the labels, the older generation and the young generation. Um, Cause I, I feel like, you know, I'm very mature for my age and I'm only 29. So I feel like sometimes when I would talk to my mother, she would say, why would you want to do that? That's a great job with good benefits, you know, just put in. And I was like, mom, when I look at your career, you know, I really commend what you, what you did because you stayed at this company for 20 something years. I said, for a younger person, a career is five years. You, you plant your seed, you work on it. If they're not producing what they promise you, you're out of there. See ya. Somebody else is going to pay me more and they're going to value me. Whereas you're like, oh, just work a little bit longer. You know, if I keep putting in this work, you know, they're going to they're going to value me. They're going to give me that promotion. Yeah. You know, my 401k is going to grow or whatnot. We're now in, you know, the information age. We're in the entrepreneurship age. And quite frankly, when I look at all the millionaires and billionaires out there, some of them don't even have college degrees. They started with the idea they're thriving, but then they took that idea and realized, oh, I can't do it by myself. So I need to partner with these different people to help my idea become revolutionary yeah. and et cetera. So you, it's, I really think it's about mindset and perspective, but I definitely feel like there's a lot from the older generation that the younger generation could learn from and vice versa to your point, Andy. But mm -hmm. if we don't bridge that gap and be willing to work together, then there's always gonna be conflict. Hmm. Because the, By the way, just to make sure, when I'm looking at the younger generation, I'm not necessarily looking in the context of corporate, which I know you're more focused on. I'm looking at young kids that get out of school and want to go on Instagram and think that they should be as rich as the guy who's pretending to be rich, who's not really rich, but he's just acting that part. You know, that that kind of mindset, like like that's how easy life should be for them, right?
No, you have to put in work because you never know what that guy is doing on the other side. Like I've hung out with with guys in the past from networking events who they're driving Lamborghinis, Bugattis, Maseratis. What you don't know is some of these people rent these cars. This is not their car. Like they run them for a hundred dollars an hour, two fifty an hour. But yeah, you could rent the car. But do you have the insurance to insure that car in case you wreck the car? And I was like. You could be all glamorous. You could be like, oh, yeah, we're popping bottles. We're doing all this. But then you you don't have a pot to piss in or you're living in an apartment or whatever the case may be. Success for one person is not the same for another person. So don't be fooled by the glamorous and think that that person is just living it up because you don't know what they did to get to where they are. Yeah. The But the thing being is that is that when one is unaware of an unconscious bias, even against, say, someone who's like, oh, I hate those conservatives or I hate those liberals, then in a sad way, till the person will look in the mirror and say, wow, there's something here I might be missing, we're really in this more parochial way of living, telling people what they should do, how they should do it, and then they become resentful. So I'm always looking for the positive reinforcing loops in society, like, how do I inspire you to look at the world differently as opposed to how do I point the finger at you and say you're really an ignorant ass? Like, I'd rather live in the first than the last. That's my that's my desire in the world. But it's not a it's a it's I often see it takes a really big thing like a, a Lloyd, a, a Floyd uh, 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 incident, George Floyd. George Floyd incident, which forces society to begin to reckon with everything it hasn't wanted to look at. So, I mean, as horrible as I was, I'm in gratitude for what it made possible because now we're no longer allowing society to be blind to something that they can conveniently be blind to before. Yeah, and I would would just add on to that point was George Floyd, I think it got all the heat that it did was because it was on national TV and it made worldwide news. But there were other innocent lives that were taken. Breonna Taylor, Sandra Bland, Ahmed Aubrey, um, so many other people who came before the George Floyd incident, but people had their blinders on or they quite frankly just didn't care because what's there was nothing in it for them. Yeah, sure. That's just another black person. You know, you know how they are. And I felt like just having that mindset was, you know, just messed up. And just with me being like, you know, a a black woman who eventually I married a black man, despite going through all my exes before, um, I said, you know what, I've seen it from various, various spectrums. And I, I definitely don't think that, um, what they did was ex- was acceptable because after the whole thing happened, like now you see that the police officer was, you know, he was slapped with certain charges, but people felt, oh no, he should have, you know, had higher charges than that. He should have had third degree murder or whatever. And now you see that, you know, the trial is still going on. They're going back and forth or whatnot. So you're um, you almost want to ask yourself, was justice really served? And then after the man died, they're talking about, oh, well, he was on drugs or, well, he had COVID or whatever. And all these speculations are coming out. But why weren't those speculations brought to the forefront whenever the incident was happening? And what justification did you have to kneel on him for that eight Eight, eight seconds. He he did say in the video, I can't breathe. Would you have yeah. kneeled on a white man for eight seconds 
And would you keep kneeling on him if that white man said, I can't breathe? So then you see the movement of the whole Black Lives Matter jump off. And then you feel like on the opposing viewpoint, people are saying, oh, well, they're saying Black Lives Matter. Are they saying all lives don't matter? No, that's not what they said. They're saying Black Lives Matter because whenever Black and Brown people are getting killed and shot down like animals, when Black, Black and Brown people are being targeted, um, followed around in grocery stores, followed around in um, uh, anywhere, whenever they're being pulled over because they're driving a BMW and they're, that cop's like, oh, maybe that car's stolen or whatever. Mm-hmm. That's why they were mm-hmm. saying Black Lives Matter. They weren't denouncing that all lives don't matter. Of course, all lives matter. But whenever you see somebody that looks like you that you know just got shot up in their apartment and they went to the wrong apartment, had no search warrant, you know, my heart aches because I'm human and I feel for that family because an innocent life was taken. You you know, when that happened to Breonna Taylor, my heart aches for George Floyd. His daughter is gonna say, my dad died on national TV. My dad said, I can't breathe, wow. you know, and her view of her dad is going to be different than how the media paints it. There's so many things. And then now, you, yeah. now the Asian community is being attacked. As a diversity, equity, and inclusion enthusiast and someone who is super passionate about, my heart aches for those Asian people. They didn't bring the coronavirus here, but then you had Trump say, ask China, China. And whenever, that was just so nasty. And whenever he said, ask that, you know, I had to call some of my Asian friends and ask them if they were okay, because some of them felt like they couldn't go different places because they were being, you know, picked on. They were being abused. And then you see what happened in Boulder, Colorado, where something as simple as going to the supermarket to get your groceries, then somebody comes in with an AK, AK, what was it? AK, whatever. 47, whatever whatever, a a gun and just, just like, seriously, what was that person possessed with? Like, were there signs that this person was capable of doing something before this issue unfold? Was there a mental issue? Was there a nervous breakdown? Was there, was it pure hate? Like there's so many things that we can unpack by doing a root cause analysis, but we really have to get to the core of things versus just jumping on the bandwagon and say, yep, the Asians brought the coronavirus. Yep. The black people are gangsters, thugs, murderers, and rapists. Yep. The Hispanics are lazy. They're just coming on over from the border or there's so many superficial bullshit out here that it's sickening and i'm excuse my language i'm just as long as that behavior is allowed to exist it's just the norm like and and like what was it uh we as a society sustain it but why can't People in society who aren't comfortable sustaining it speak up. Yes, you're saying, oh, I don't like the way that they're doing it. Well, you could be that one person to be the change. You could be that one person to have a cataclysmic effect. Like, don't just sit by the wayside and say, you know what? I really don't like that. But then you're not speaking up. You could speak up whether you go on your own podcast, go on other people's podcasts. If you get on Facebook Live or whatever, things will spread like wildfire. If If you don't like something, speak up. If you're in a situation where you could intervene without it being confrontational, like the guy, he filmed um, the one 
in Boulder, Colorado. He filmed the incident on his cell phone. So that was proof. At, the proof is in the pudding. That's one way that he took a, took action. And, you know, by him filming it live, you know, the law enforcement got there a little bit faster. Whereas if someone would have called them and said, hey, people are getting slaughtered in here. Hurry up. Come down to the supermarket. Like, and not making it comical, but, you know, sometimes people are prone to what do you, um, react versus being proactive. If that Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah. yeah, of course. Yeah. I would have loved if you had recorded the woman at the supermarket when she was questioning the kids that were with you. That would have been the best. Because then we would have gotten you on the same show, but we would have said, we have the woman who took the video that's now public, because it's so weird, because now everyone is recording these situations. And, and what I find beautiful in the situation is, and this is what I love in those videos, is that, is that everyone, there's two sides. Even in those videos, people will blame the colored or black or whatever term we're using to uh, for not just telling the person what they asked for why didn't you just answer their question because now you make it difficult for them and the truth is no one questions why are they allowed to ask the question to begin with like uh, on what planet do we say it's acceptable to go up to someone and ask that question because of all the presumed presumptions of, of, uh, of blind bias and, and racist. Uh, so, and that's the best part of it is that uh, they're escalating because people are no longer allowing just to answer with simple things that might descale it, mm -hmm. right? They're actually forcing the issues to become bigger. And I think that's actually a great thing uh, because, and then record it, like, like show this person to be the, the, the idiot that they're proving themselves to be. But, I'm surprised that even in these situations, people don't get it still. Because they said, if that person just answered the question, why do you have the key? Why do you have the key? Why do you have the key? Why do I need to answer why I have the key? I have the key and that allows me in. Yes, but why do you have it? But who are you and why do I have to answer your question? You know, and then, and then that kind of dialogue. I've seen so much of it lately that I find it really comical how uh, ignorant we are to the fact that the bias is so embedded that we feel an entitlement to the racism like that, 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 that that's how deep it is it's wild for me yeah looking looking at it now i wish i would have recorded it but when you're in that moment you just don't think think about all the things that you that you could have done until after the incident but when you were speaking that just reminded me that i need to buy yeah. a dash cam, a dash cam for my car because there's so many incidents that happen on the road lately with road rage if you just have it on your dash cam on your car like it would have helped because ugh. but but do you hear yourself like you as a black woman you need to take those measures yeah <laughs> Like, that's that's the level of what you need to think of as as an extra. Mm -hmm. yeah, yeah, as an extra. There's one thing. I, oh, sorry. We're gonna need to go because this is our longest show ever. But I did want to correct one thing you said. You said that I would identify myself as a white, uh, a Caucasian male, but actually, just to make sure, it would be a good-looking Caucasian male. That would be how I would say myself. <laughs> Well, with that hair, absolutely. He fixed his hair now. Yeah. Make, make sure, make sure your wife. Uh, Ron, is it Ronnie? Yeah, Ronnie. Ronnie, Ronnie yes. 
make sure she puts her stamps of, of approval on that. I'm sure she will because, you know, she married you. But make sure she's okay with other women saying, yeah, you know, Andy, he's a good-looking Caucasian male. He's got, he's got vanilla drop that's like, you know, my creme de la creme. <laughs> <laughs> we're, we're, uh, yes. we're gonna have to figure out another excuse to bring you on <laughs> yeah it has been so much fun thank you yeah thank you for being with us we send you a hug and uh yeah we wish you luck in the craziness that you live in yeah, yeah. and also thanks for showing up given the fact that this is the fourth month mm -hmm. anniversary of your father's death thank you yeah thank you so much yeah. and thank you uh guys for letting me talk Thanks about it it's a wonderful chaos we like it that way